Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. Today we are going to an exclusive, this is an exclusive event. We're going to a place called Hawthorne to talk about the menu. Cool. Yeah. We're not going anywhere. It's not like a field trip or anything. I'm just trying to. Ah. I mean. Jeez, I don't, now I'm disappointed. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe I should have. Maybe I should have given you a heads up that that's what we were going to do, but, <laughs> well, so much for that. So, The Menu, yeah, this is one of those movies that, that, under the radar, that I hadn't really heard about. We saw a trailer for it when we were on vacation, I think, and I leaned over to you and I was like, we've got to see this movie. <laughs> you did, you did. And I think they did a pretty good job with the trailer not really giving away what this movie is about. Yeah. Because I feel like... This is one of those movies that you're going to have a different experience the first time you see it than mm-hmm. the second and third, which I know most movies are like that, but some are kind of to a different degree because we didn't really know what this was about. Right. Well, this is there's some twists in this. Yeah. There's some twists and turns, and when you have twists and turns, you always have a second, a different experience on your second time around. Yeah. On the second time, you'll be looking more for the clues leading up to the twist that you already know about. Right, right. Yeah. Now... I mean, we can dispense with the whole, you know, bleh, who, who have we seen this before or whatever. Because it's a brand this new is movie. Brand spanking new. And we'll just jump into cast and crew. Do you want to f- fill everybody in? All right. So this was directed by Mark Mylod or Milod. One of the two. Mark Milod. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making that up because I don't know. It was written by Seth Reese and Will Tracy, and it stars Ralph Fiennes as Chef Slowick, Anya Taylor-Joy as Margot, Nicholas Holt as Tyler, Hong Chow as Elsa, Janet McTeer as Lillian, Paul Adelstein as Ted, John Leguizamo as movie star the movie star not named just <laughs> movie star and we have judith Lighton here as Anne. oh it's the boss she's the boss she's the boss angela <laughs> that's my best tony danza that's all you're getting guys that's as good as i can do i apologize <laughs> to anyone listening <laughs> all right so, this Mark Mylod guy, I guess I don't really know much about him. I know that he was he did a show called Shameless, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't know I don't know a whole lot about him. He doesn't pop up on anything that I've really seen other than Game of Thrones, but it would be I would be hard-pressed to be able to pick out anything that was stylistically, sure. you know, like his other stuff. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, but Anya Taylor-Joy, we've seen in a few things. She was in New Mutants, which we reviewed. She was in... Last um, Night in Soho. Last Night in Soho, which we reviewed. She's in a lot of stuff. Yep. The She cut her teeth on The Witch, which you didn't like, but I thought was a fantastic movie. So she is... I, I'm going to say she didn't... I'm not going to say she cut her teeth on The Witch, because I'm sure she acted for a long time before then, but she became publicly known because of The Witch. And uh, that was a hell of a movie. I really like that movie. I barely remember it. You barely remember <laughs> it. <laughs> well, all right then. Fine. I, in fact, I watched that again just recently. I don't I don't know why I didn't like that movie, but I just remember not liking it, so. It's oh, well. an A24 joint. Not surprised then. <laughs> they're, they're so hit and miss for me, so. Mostly mess, though, the way uh, things go, huh? Yeah, there's a couple that I like, but most of, it, most of it's very weird, which we've already talked about, so I don't want to go down that again, so. What? You don't want to talk about it again? Okay, that's fine. I'm sure people don't want to listen to it again. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> so. All right, maybe not. Okay, well, should we get into it? Yes, let's. All right, so the movie opens with Tyler and Margot waiting on a dock for a boat that's going to take them to the exclusive restaurant Hawthorne, which is also on the aptly named Hawthorne Island. When the boat shows up, they are treated to a posh aperitif, which is salmon caviar that is harvested that morning. And Tyler immediately takes a picture, and I roll my eyes. Like, as soon as he took his phone out to take a picture, I was like, come the fuck on, really, with this? (laughs) I hate that. But, fine. Margot doesn't seem too impressed with it. 
which, fine. But on the boat ride, we get to meet some of the other guests. We get to meet Lillian Bloom, who's a food critic, and apparently, according to Tyler, her reviews can close restaurants. And then we get to meet her publicist, Ted, who I guess is also her husband. Did you get that feeling? No. I didn't either, but apparently that's her husband. Really? Yeah, her husband and publicist. Who knew? Who knew? We also get to meet the aforementioned unnamed movie star and his assistant and three hedge fund hedge fund manager dude bros. You know the type. <laughs> yeah. Tyler further like further raises my ire by thing, saying things like mouthfeel. Yeah. He's, he's a foodie. Right. In that most annoying sense of the word. I mean, I get everybody's got their interests. I like good food, but I don't like pretentious food. So, and I feel like he's one that's going for the pretentious food. You know, like if it's expensive and fancy, then he's got to like it type of thing. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that is going to actually inform that that opinion of him along the way like there's going to be some really ridiculous stuff that the chef puts out for these people to eat mm-hmm. and he's just going to fawn over all of it right and we learn later too that he really doesn't know what the hell he talking about so <laughs> yeah he knows the he knows the words but not the craft right he knows what it's supposed to be but not how to do it right kind of like we with movies although i know a little <laughs> bit about how to do it so. Yeah. Anyway, so then the uh, the boat arrives at the island, and the guests are checked in by Elsa, who is the I guess she's the head staff member at the at the restaurant. But she's suspicious of Margot because Margot was not on the guest list. So this is our first indication that something's not sitting well with these people. I'm surprised at this point that they even let Margot on. Yeah, it's interesting that they, although although in a situation like this, it probably would be considered uncouth. To kick her off the island. But if this is a place that you have to get these reservations in advance mm-hmm. and only 12 people per night and they plan accordingly, this is a type of place that could very easily say, nope, you cannot come because you're not on the list. Well, as Apollo Creed once said, there is no tomorrow, Rock. This is like, this is the last show, right? Yep. So, I mean... I feel like they're like, well, whatever, by the end of it. Just like, fine. That's fine. We'll figure it out later because there's not going to be something. We can't fix this later, you know? Mm-hmm. So, But Tyler tells Elsa that his girlfriend had broken up with him, and so he brought Margot instead. But, you know, like I said, that doesn't sit well with Elsa, but she doesn't say anything. She just leads them on a, on a uh, tour. So we get to meet another couple of guests, Anne and Richard, who are regulars on the island, and they are going to stay at the restaurant instead of going with Elsa and the rest of the guests on this tour around the island. She tells the guests while they're wandering around, she tells them that the 12-acre island is the source of all the food that they are going to consume at the restaurant that night. This is a weird tour. I feel like these employees, and I'm using quotation marks here, employees. I don't see any quotation marks. They're... They almost feel like servants or, I don't know, it seems like a prison camp or something. Yeah. You know, it, it's, their quarters are like military quarters almost. Yeah, they're kind of like barracks, right? Yeah, yep. it's very weird. Yep. And people like are excited to go work here? I, I don't get it. I think the prestige of working for Chef Slowick is enough for them to have gotten involved, mm-hmm. but then I'm guessing whatever his situation is rubbed off on them. Right. I know it did on a couple of them at least. Well, and so. honestly, if he is that big, you know, having like an internship type thing under him or working under him is probably going to give them a leg up in mm-hmm. their own career eventually. And I'm sure that's why most of them are there and put up with that. But there's a line where I feel like some people <laughs> might be like, you know what, this is not for me. And I feel like this dude has way crossed that line. Well, that's kind of the argument that this is going to present, right? This movie in general is going to present this argument of like, how far do we go before we realize that we're being taken advantage of? Mm-hmm. 
and when and what do we do when we get to that point? What do we do when we get to the point where we say enough's enough and we're not going to take it anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, I, I think thematically this makes sense to me because you've got these these bright-eyed, you know, staff members that are all encouraged to, you know, or not encouraged, but energized by the idea of working for this world-famous chef. Mm-hmm. But by the end of it, is it going to be worth it? So, I don't know. That's just kind of what the way I was thinking about it was like, yeah, these are barracks and everything, and it looks really kind of looks looks prisony, looks like a prison. I mean, there's a toilet sitting out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. in their barracks, and why would you subject yourself to that? It's only if you're going to be so driven that nothing else matters, right? That you're going to subject yourself to that. Which we find out the chef kind of was. Right. So after the tour, the group is led back to the restaurant. And Tyler speaks to one of the sous chefs who's using a Pacojet to make an appetizer. And Tyler starts bragging about how he has one and that's how he knows what it's called. And the sous chef says something like, yes, you're very observant. Tyler, please take your seat. We're going to be serving soon or something along those lines. And... He calls him by name, mm-hmm. so he knows who he is. So I feel like there's some kind of training done ahead of time. Well, we come to find out this might be different. They This might not be every meal sitting they find out all this information, because this is odd. You know, you go to a table seating like this, and everybody, including the, not just the chef, but I mean, everybody knows your name. All the staff, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that would be weird. But we find out later there's a reason why they know so much about these people. So I kind of like how Margot pointed out how the sous chef knew Tyler's name, but Tyler never even bothered to ask the sous chef's name. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually And really... I feel like this does come into play later yeah. with where the story's going to. Yeah, definitely. It's it it's it's pertinent to the story. It's there's a reason that it's there, I think. This mm-hmm. is what feel what's interesting to me is that this movie is about a guy who's designed a menu that is so specific and so like down to every single beat that even the slightest thing is going to screw it up that's how this movie feels constructed mm-hmm. that like every single thing has to inform what's going to happen next or what will soon happen right so i think that i i, I think that that is a good you know a good tell for what's coming mm-hmm yeah. So after Tyler goes back to his seat, Chef Slowick appears in the kitchen and he tastes the dish and he nods in approval and the staff serves the amuse-bouche. And a title card appears on the screen describing the amuse-bouche. Did you happen to catch what the title card was? I did not. I didn't either. I. It was just, a, it's just a, basically a description of the, the amuse-bouche. Tyler takes a picture and at that point I'm like, you son of a bitch. But basically, he did it even after Elsa said, don't take pictures because mm-hmm. this is a limited time exclusive event and only the people that are here that are present are going to know anything about this or should know anything about this. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Then the chef introduces himself and he explains that the guests will, over the next few hours, consume fat, salt, protein, bacteria, fungi, various plants and animals, and entire ecosystems at a brisk but fair pace. He asks the guests not to eat, though. He says, I want you to relish, taste, savor. And then the staff serves the first course. And this is where the first title, the next title card pops up. And I, this one I caught. It's called The Island. And it's it's basically, it's plants, clam, and barely frozen seawater. Is that what he called it? Barely frozen or something like that? Something like that. That yeah. seems right. Yeah. And he tells the guests that the island and the nutrients on it are in their most perfect state. He says that people just last a nanosecond, but t- nature is timeless and eternal. And this makes Tyler cry. He starts crying and says, the dish is beautiful. And Margot rolls her eyes. And so do I. I do too. This, this is the point because you've got all of, like the publisher was talking about her yeah. stuff. And I looked at you in the movie theater and I'm like, I don't like any of these people. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. They, they just... 
I don't like that. I don't know. And I know that's just not my thing. And if it was, I might be the same way, but it just seemed just really off-putting. This is funny because I am this way about movies, though. You are. So this is just a whole different ball game. I mean, there are people that love this stuff, but man, and I'm sure there's people that roll their eyes at me too, but man, these people that with the food thing and the taking pictures and the and the crying over meals, that will make me roll my eyes. <laughs> That's going to make me roll my eyes. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd be okay with it. I just have to be okay with it. But at first, I think it would be a little like, little shock to the system of what is going on with this person this guy's a weirdo <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. but but you know when when Margot rolls her eyes she kind of rolls her eyes and looks back towards the kitchen yeah and the chef is like staring straight at her yeah we're gonna find out why later but it's the same reason that Elsa was like you know was put off by Margot being there Margot's not supposed to be there right again an exacting menu that Everything is in its place. Everything is where it's supposed to be, and it's taking place exactly how it's supposed to take place. But if you have that one fly in the ointment, it throws everything off. Mm-hmm. Margot was the fly in the ointment. So soon the next course arrives, and it's accompanied by another title card, and this one reads, Breadless Bread Plate. No bread, savory accompaniments. The chef explains that bread is for the poor, so his guests will not have bread. The... Food critic Lillian complains that, you know, she's she's intrigued by the idea of it, but she starts to, like, pick apart the different, like, accompaniments. One of them is an emulsion, and she's like, oh, this is a broken emulsion. And uh, the, the hedge fund dude bros complain to Elsa and ask her for bread, and she's like, no, you can't have bread. And then they complain, and they say, you know, they work for Doug Varick, and that's who owns the restaurant. And they demand bread. And Elsa's like, I'm not bringing you bread. And one of the guys throws his napkin on the floor and she picks it up and she puts it on his lap and she leans in close and she says, you will eat less than you desire and more than you deserve. Which kind of lets you in on the idea that everybody is in on this. Mm-hmm. Like everybody is part of this at this point. Even Elsa is like, Believing it, she's drank Kool Aid, so so to speak, right? Even though it wasn't Kool Aid, it was flavor Aid, but whatever. <laughs> right. So this round, when it came out, I thought, "Wow!" I you we, you verbally you verbally like were like, "What?" <laughs> I know. I was like, "Wow, this is really pretentious baloney." I I just I don't like I don't like places like that that pretentious how dare you yeah i don't know i i understand that food can be art for some people but if i'm gonna pay twelve hundred dollars to go eat somewhere um, i don't want to eat twelve fifty oh i'm sorry <laughs> maybe it should have been twelve hundred because you didn't get bread oh uh, yeah know? maybe they should yeah they should have knocked off 50 bucks because <laughs> there's no bread yeah, but the whole st- where they start interacting and these people start getting upset and the one food critic that was complaining about the broken emulsion, yeah, you know, then he brought her like this large bowl of it. Yeah, like, that comes later, but yeah. Like yep. here, here, you yeah. can have that. He does it to her twice. Does he does he? it here and then he does it again later. Oh, yeah, that's right. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He brings it to her You're twice. Right. So right. it's it's like... He's rubbing it in. Yeah, you don't like this? Here, have some more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... For the next course, Chef starts by introducing his mother, who has been sitting there with the rest of the guests. She's in the corner of the restaurant drinking. And he says that the next course is called Memory. It's a chicken thigh with a mini scissors stabbed into it on a wrapped telephone cord with a side of tortillas. He tells a story about how when he was a child, his father tried to strangle his mother, Chef's mother with a phone cord. So the chef had to stab his dad in the thigh with a pair of scissors. The tortillas, he also says, have images etched on them with their new machine that they just got. It's exclusive. They just got this this machine that'll etch these images on them. But then when we see the images, Lillian's have pictures of the restaurants that have closed down because of reviews that she gave. And... Tyler's has images of him taking pictures of the food that very night when he was told not to. Mm -hmm. 
and the hedge fund bros have documents that expose expose their fraud. They 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 they're like perpetuating fraud, financial fraud. And uh, Richard and Anna's have photos of their various visits to the island, and one that has a picture of Richard with what looks like Margot. Mm-hmm. Tyler thinks that he should apologize for breaking protocol, but Margot thinks that they should send their food back. Like, he's taken aback by the fact that he's like, oh, they're really pissed about this me taking pictures thing. And uh, Margot says, no, we're going to send the food back. But Tyler, like, flips out on her. He's like, you don't send food back here. What's the matter with you? Are you some kind of child or something like that? And that pisses her off. Which Rightfully I mean, so. <laughs> rightfully so. I would be mad too. So she gets up and she goes to the bathroom and she's going to smoke a cigarette at an open window. So she opens up the window and she sees a staff member walking across the lawn with like angel wings. And that'll come back into play. It will. But when it happened, I was like, what in the hell is going on with that? I was like, that's kind of an odd thing to put here, but all right, (laughs) sure. Oh boy, are we getting into A24 territory here? (laughs) (laughs) Nah. Nah. While she's in there, the chef shows up in the ladies' bathroom and he asks her what she's doing on the island and says she's not supposed to be here. He also asks her if she's one of us or one of them, meaning are you with the diners or are you with the servants? Mm-hmm. And Margot's a little confused, so she asks the chef to step aside, and he does, and she goes back to her table. And that's when the fourth course arrives. It starts with a tarp being rolled out and dressed with things like edible flowers and stuff like that. And then the chef introduces sous chef Jeremy, who is the creator of the next course, and it's called The Mess. And he goes on to describe Jeremy's credentials, and then he proceeds to kind of dress Jeremy down and say things like, he wanted my life, but this isn't the life that he dreamed of. He was, he's good, but he's not great. He's not good enough. And he put all of his life into this. And he want, he asks Jeremy, was it worth it, basically? And Jeremy's like, no, chef, it wasn't. He asks him, I think he says, is this the life that you dreamed of? And Jeremy says, no, chef. And he pulls out a pistol from his waistband and he blows his own head off. Sticks it in his mouth and pulls the trigger. And pandemonium breaks out. <laughs> there was a lot of confusion because some of the diners were like, is this like some kind of theater, like dinner right. theater thing? Or what's happening here? Which I think I'd be freaked out too and kind of like, is this, did this just happen? I mean. Is this real? Yeah. What what happened? I was a little concerned as soon as this this round happened because they put like like a tablecloth or like a tarp like thing yeah. on the floor yep. and then the guy was standing on it when the chef started dressing him down mm-hmm. and kind of saying those negative things about him yeah. i thought he was going to kill him you thought the chef was going to kill i thought him, chef jeremy? was going to kill jeremy but he didn't jeremy took care of it himself i right. guess that that was crazy right as soon as Jeremy pulls the trigger, though, we get a title card that says The Mess and describes it. This one I caught. Pressure-cooked beef bone, or excuse me, pressure-cooked beef, bone broth, heirloom carrots, and potatoes. R.I.P. Jeremy Lux, 1988 to 2020. Not 2022. Yeah. Do you have research maybe later that'll give us an idea as to why this says 2020 instead of 2022? I do not. I wonder if it was like, because there's sometimes movies can't find like a like a distributor, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And maybe this has been produced for a while and they only just got it out. I don't know. Richard says, I'm leaving. And he tries to take off, but Elsa stops him and, she's, and he's like, no, you're going to let me out and I'm going to handle the situation. And Elsa says, which hand? And he's like, what do you mean? She says, with which hand will you handle the situation? And he's like, I don't know what you mean. And she's like, well, I'll decide then. Left. And she orders the staff to cut off his ring finger on his left hand. Like, oh, what in the hell, man? Like that, like trauma on top of trauma in short succession. And you could see in the background that Tyler is still devouring (laughs) his food while all this is going on. Like everybody else is just... In a panicked 
state mm-hmm. or very confused. Right. And Tyler's just sitting at the table eating. Unfazed. Completely unfazed. Yep. Yeah. After the, everything kind of dies down and they get Richard's finger wrapped, Elsa goes to Margot and says, the chef would like you to join him in the kitchen. So she goes over to the kitchen and he asks her again, are you with us or are you with them? And he says, and she says, well, if I answer, will you let me live? And he says, no, we're all going to die here tonight. The question is whether you're going to die with the staff or with the diners. Are you a taker or are you a giver? And then he sets a timer for 15 minutes and Margot goes back to her table. Then the chef opens the room up to questions. He's like, are there any questions about what we're, what we're doing here tonight? And the movie star wants to know why this is happening. The chef says it's because of things that they've all done or something that they might have been complicit in that the others have done. And Margot says, well, why do you deserve to die? And the chef says it's because he wasted his life trying to create art, but that all is left is to trying to serve people with no appreciation for his art. And then there's a great line in there where he says, everything that... My, I had to watch my art turn into shit in the stomach of some rich person or in the guts of some rich person or something mm-hmm. like that. I thought yeah. that was interesting. The hedge fund bros get up and say, look, this isn't even your restaurant. Doug Varick owns this restaurant. He even owns the island. And the chef's like, yeah, that's true. And in a way then, he kind of owns me, but there's a problem. I own Doug Varick. And then he gestures at the window, the big picture window. Yeah, so this whole scene, there was a terminology used that he was, there was some terminology used that Doug Varick was his angel investor. Angel investor, And yeah. at that point, I knew what the angel wings were. I thought, Doug Varick is there and something weird's going to be happening <laughs> with this. And you are right. Out the picture window, we see Doug Varick suspended over the sea. And the chef basically, you know says why he's there and it's because doug questioned the chef's menu doug asked for substitutions how dare he i know right this man's trying to create art and the and the and doug is like no no no. i'll tell you how to do the art because i have the money basically saying i'm the one with the money so i get to make the decisions so i understand the chef's frustration that he's trying to do art and he just wants people to eat what it is right but on the other hand, he is also running a restaurant where people go to eat food. And some now the substitution part, I feel like I don't know that I would like at a fancy place, I don't know that I would ask for a substitution or something like can that. Can I get mac and cheese instead of these scalloped potatoes? Yeah, can yeah. I <laughs> yeah, get something weird like that? Right. So I I kind of get both sides a little bit, but I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) You're probably going to skewer me for this, but I'm on the chef's side at this point. I think Doug thinks that because he's got the money, Doug can tell anybody what to do. Sure. He hired the chef for a very specific reason, because this chef is world-renowned and he knows what he's doing. You don't get to. you Just just having the money doesn't mean that you know how to do something. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Elon Musk. He thinks he knows everything, but he gets taken down a lot. Yeah. You know? I mean, look at what's happening on Twitter right now. Right. This makes me think of, you know, let's say you go eat at a Gordon Ramsay restaurant and Gordon Ramsay's there cooking for you (laughs) and you're going to ask for a substitution. You don't ask for a substitution. You just eat what he puts in front of you, right? Yeah. We've watched episodes of Hell's Kitchen where people came up to complain about it and he yelled at the clients, at the customers. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's... There's a very specific reason that you hire a chef like this. And mm-hmm. it's not so that you can boss them around with your checkbook. And I'm kind of thinking, Mark, we don't eat at places like this. This no. is not somewhere we frequent. We go to more like, you know, just the burger bar type places. There <laughs> you can get substitutions. It's fine. There's not like a high class chef in the back, <laughs> you know. No one's going to string you up with angel wings if you ask <laughs> right. for crinkle cut fries instead of curds. Right. So here's, I want to put it in a perspective that I can understand. If I hire Steven Spielberg to make a movie and I say, here's the money, Steve, go ahead and make this flick. 
I'm not going to tell Steven Spielberg how to make the movie. But they do that all the time. Not the Steven Spielberg, they freaking don't. I was going to say movie places do that, that all the time. Studios do that all the time yeah. to other directors. Less, not lesser, but like directors that have less clout, that have less of a foothold in, in Hollywood. Yes, sure. you're absolutely right, they do, but not Steven Spielberg. This chef is Steven Spielberg. Yeah. In his art, he is the Steven Spielberg of the art. He is the, he is the, Steven Spielberg's kind of like Gordon Ramsay. You don't mm-hmm. go into Gordon Ramsay's restaurant and tell him how to cook. Right. Right? Even if you've hired him. Mm-hmm. You've hired him for a specific reason. And Doug Varick way stepped over the line by trying to imply that because he's got the money, he can make the chef do whatever he wants. He can make him dance. So that's where I stand. I stand, I, I stand with the chef. I, I actually agree with you. I think that's a very good point. So What? Really? I do. Sweet. All right. Yeah. Well, there's nothing to argue about, I guess. <laughs> Darn it, huh? Well, that's the end of the podcast, guys. Thanks for... I'm just kidding. That's so, all, folks. <laughs> that's all. So, the... You know, he, he gestures to the picture window, and like we said, Doug Varick is there. He's suspended above the sea with angel wings, and because he questioned the chef's menu, his fate, his punishment is to drown, and they lower him into the sea, and... He just drowns on screen. Not like we're not like watching him like, you know, blub around or anything like that, but he's not coming up for air guys. And right at that moment, Margot's timer goes off. Elsa asks her to go back to the chef's office and she goes to see the chef and sits down. And the chef says, who are you? And she finally reveals that she's actually an escort named Aaron. She was hired by Tyler as a date. She also has a little bit of dirt about Richard. That tortilla, tortilla delicioso, is true. Richard hired her as an escort. But he hired her to pretend to be his daughter, to impersonate, in fact, his daughter. There's even a point where Anne and Richard comment that Margot looks like their daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mar- An- maybe An- Anne's Anne commenting and, right. Ri- and Richard's like, nah, nah. I don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> but... He hired her to impersonate his daughter while he masturbated in front of her. What the hell, man? I That's so wrong. I... It, it feels implied that Richard, like, molested his daughter. Don't you think? Yeah. How, I like, really... I mean, it doesn't weird. come back to play in the story at all, other than we now know this guy is just a absolute dickbag right but we also know now that margo has a connection to the whole thing there's still a reason for her to be there and the chef says look now i can see it you belong with the staff you are a giver not a taker so after they have their meeting the group gets brought outside for their next course and it's presented by sous chef Catherine, who tells the diners that chef slowick sexually harassed her when she first arrived there on the island to work at Hawthorne. She spurned his advances and he kept her on anyway, but he wouldn't look at her, he wouldn't talk to her for months. And she says that she deserves to be treated as a superior, not just an equal, because she's better than all of the male sous chefs, and she might even be better than the chef himself. And then she reveals the next course. It's called Humiliation. And it starts with her stabbing the chef in the thigh with a paring knife. <laughs> then she wipes her hand on his, on his, what do they call that? Chef's jacket, right? Mm-hmm. She wipes her hand on his chef's jacket and the chef accepts his punishment and then advises the men in the group, the diners, that they have 45 seconds head start to try and escape the island. Meanwhile, the women will follow Catherine back into the restaurant for the rest of the course. But all the men get caught. And brought back. The last person caught is Tyler. And instead of being beaten up like the other men are, he's given like a little treat for being the last person caught. Right. This whole part I thought was kind of weird that sous chef Catherine only stabs him in the thigh, even though she was horribly mistreated. Mm -hmm. Seems like a little bit of an under thing at this point, but whatever. And then well, I thought the whole bit with 
letting the men try to escape, I don't know, seemed kind of like a waste of time. I, I don't know what the point of that was. So I feel like it had something to do with uh, like a toxic male responses. You know what I mean? Like you could either stay there and try and, you know, stay with the people that you're with or you can try and save yourself. And every single one of them, except for Tyler, took off running. I mean, they abandoned the the women there. Mm-hmm. So I think it was I think it was more to prove a point that given the opportunity, they will they will try to save themselves rather than help others. Right. And this is again we're dealing with very wealthy people too. Mm-hmm. So given the opportunity, they didn't try and save anybody except for themselves. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So back at the restaurant, the chef says that the menu cannot continue until he's dealt with an unresolved matter. And he brings Tyler up in front of everybody and he introduces him. And he tells the diners that Tyler had been sending them, sending letters to the chef for months. And he reveals that he invited Tyler to the restaurant and let him in on the chef's plan, which is to kill everyone he knew all along. This pisses Margot off. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. He knew she was going right. to die, and he invited her along. <laughs> right. He was going to the island to die, and he brought an uninvolved person yep. with him to die as well. Because he couldn't bear to just go by himself or, you know, bring the person he had originally planned to bring. The whole while he's got Tyler there, he's putting a chef's jacket on him, and he's telling him that he's telling the, the diners that Tyler said he was a great chef. And, you know, at home and he wants, he's, you know, he wants to give him the opportunity to be a part of this. He wants to, to feel special. He's like, now Tyler's going to get to make the next course. And you can tell Tyler is like, oh, shit. <laughs> so he asks him, he's like, well, what do you, what do you want? And he's, he says, well, what do you have? And the chef says, we have everything. What do you need? And Tyler asks for leeks and he asks for shallots and he asks for butter and he starts chopping really clumsily, and the chef is making rude comments about stuff like, oh, this must be some heretofore undiscovered, you know, chopping method or something like that. He's he's just making fun of him so bad here. He's brutal, honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's really, really brutal with this guy. But... Then he asks him what protein. He says, I'm gonna, I want to do lamb. So he throws lamb. He gives him lamb. He throws it in there. Then he, so he says, okay, I think it's done now, chef. Tyler says, okay, I think it's done now, chef. And the chef says, oh, good. And he takes a bite and he's like, mmm. And then he takes it out of his mouth and he spits it out and he throws it on the ground and talks about how it's inedible or something like that. And like I, I love that he tried to be like, mmm, at yeah. first. You know, like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Like just that one last like... Right, you know, like when you get on a roller coaster and you're right at the top, and just that second right before you're plummeting down, mm-hmm. that's that one second you just nudged him over a little bit more. Right, that one less second, and then boom, he plummets. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he mocks him a little bit more, and then he leans in close to Tyler and he whispers something. What do you think he whispered to him? I'm guessing something along the lines of you're terrible, you don't deserve to live, something along those lines. Well, he already knew he didn't deserve to live. That was the plan all along. Mm-hmm. Because what's going to happen is Tyler is going to walk off in tears, and he's going to be taking his tie off, and we're going to later find out that he hang, he hanged himself. Mm-hmm. What could he have possibly said to Tyler that would make him go off and do that separately and not be a part of what's happening because I think that's what Tyler really wanted was to be a part of that. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't either. I want to know, but I, I know we'll never know. Right. It's just one of those things that it's fun to think about. I think. Yeah. I think I like to think it was probably something along the lines of like, you don't have a place amongst the diners, you're a pretender or something like that. And you know, you don't, you don't deserve to die with the rest of us. You should go die by yourself. He he basically talked him into suicide like like Hannibal Lecter did to multiple Migs in Silence of the Lambs, which I think is interesting because Ralph Fiennes played, he played the big bad in Red Dragon, which was the first Hannibal Lecter movie. Well, technically the third 
fourth Hannibal Lecter movie, but it was it was based on the first Hannibal Lecter book. It's the second adaptation, by the way. But Sorry. anyway, mm-hmm. so then we get so when Tyler takes off, the, the diners are spared Tyler's course, but we get a title card and it says Tyler's bullshit, undercooked lamb with leeks and shallots and butter. <laughs> Tyler's bullshit. That was uh, my favorite one. Honestly, I that was pretty good too. Yeah. That one and the final course, I thought were both funny, but yes, the final funny, course but one was not good. funny. It's really dark funny. Yes, yeah. black humor. Yes. yes, absolutely. So then the chef tells everybody that there's only one savory course left before dessert, and poor Elsa has neglected to bring a barrel from the smokehouse for the final course. So he asks Margot to go and get it, so that he can, so that she can prove what side she's on. But on her way, this is where we get the reveal that Tyler hanged himself. Mm-hmm. So she finds the barrel in the smokehouse, but instead of taking it, she finds a knife, and then she breaks into the chef's cottage, which is close by. And she finds in the cottage an exact replica of the restaurant. Talk about fucking weird, right? It It is weird. What is that all about? I I think it's because he has committed his whole life to his craft in his art and that's where he feels at home is in his restaurant Mm. and so to have like a different place he might feel out like a different setup he might feel out of place but he feels most at home in his restaurant and so that's why it's probably his private restaurant he probably doesn't allow workers maybe in there so it's more a private sanctuary that way but it's still set up the same way. What if it has something to do with, like, his presentation? Do you know what I mean? Like, he's got to work on all of this. And the only way he can do it would be to, like, be in that space. But, like, his chefs and everything have to work on, like, prep and stuff like that. So maybe he's got, like, this replica to work on that. But why know. would the... Why would his, like, couch living area look like the dining area then? Because he spends a lot of time standing out in the dining area talking to people, too. He does. I don't know. I'm he just does. spitballing. I like your idea better, honestly. So I feel like he could go and prep, I mean, and practice at the restaurant itself. Even with everybody prepping in the background? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. Maybe he's got performance anxiety. He might. <laughs> you never know. So while she's in there and she's looking around, she gets accosted by Elsa, who followed her. And uh, she attacks Margot and basically says, you know, you're ruining everything or something like that. Margot defends herself with the knife and, and not accidentally, but she kills Elsa in the scuffle. She, Elsa tells Margot, you're not going to take my job. Yeah. And I'm thinking, why would she take her job? Well... The chef told her to go and fix Elsa's mistake, but as she's like pushing the knife into Elsa's throat, Elsa's like, he never even told me to get that. Like she yeah. starts to say something along those lines. Yeah. So that's all, that's, that's all, that's a fabrication. Hmm. So I don't know what the deal is there. Like maybe she's so devoted to the chef that she's just not going to have anybody that, you know, could potentially be above her in his eyes, maybe? It could be. And... It almost seems like the chef has a fascination with Margot at this point. Like right. he's fascinated with her. Yeah, because she's the unknown factor, right? Mm-hmm. And she's a giver like they are. Right. So he sees her as a giver, but she's on the taker's area. She's out in the taker's yeah. area. She's with the takers yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So after she kills Elsa, she takes Elsa's keys and she manages to unlock a previously locked room this is a room that just like in the real real restaurant is locked up and you can't get into and she goes into this room and she finds stacks of cookbooks everywhere and photos of the chef throughout his career and including the very very real very very photoshopped picture of a very young chef flipping burgers at his, presumably at his first job. Mm-hmm. But she also finds a CB radio, which she uses to call the Coast Guard. Then when she leaves that back room, the chef is standing there and he asks her to go and get the barrel. He's like, you didn't get the barrel. Go get me the barrel. Mm-hmm. He's not even concerned that she's been in there now. 
He doesn't care. He doesn't. He doesn't. He knows that none of the, none of whatever she does is going to change anything. No, it doesn't matter. Right. So she brings the barrel back to the main restaurant just as the Coast Guard arrives. And the chef tells everybody not to say anything because the Coastie's going to get killed if you do and you don't want his blood on your hands. And the, the Coast Guard guy comes in and he, he gets alerted to the chef's misdeeds by the movie star. The movie star is recognized by the Coast Guard guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call a Coast Guard guy. Coast Guard guy? I've got it in my CG? notes as Coasty. CG guy? I'm going to call him Dave. <laughs> <laughs> the guy with the vest. The dude with the vest. The guy <laughs> with the Coast Guard hat on. So anyway, he he noted, he recognizes the, the movie star and he's like, hey, I know you. And, and, and the chef says, well, do you want his autograph? He'll be happy to sign an autograph for you. Like giving the guy permission. So like, he gives the pen. He gives a pen and a piece of paper to the movie star, and the movie star signs his name. And the guy goes to leave, but he looks down and it says "Help us" instead of having the guy's name. So we still don't know the guy's name. Not no autograph on there. Yeah. But it says "Help us," and that's when the Coast Guard guy turns around and he's like, pulls his gun on the chef, and he's like, "Hey, all right, what's going on here?" But then he turns his gun on Margot. And everybody's like, no, 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 not her, not her, the chef. The chef is the one, but then he pulls the trigger, mm-hmm. and it's a lighter. I thought it was funny here with the Coast Guard recognizing the the movie star yeah. from the movie. I oh. don't remember what the movie title is. <laughs> but previously, the chef gives right. a little speech to the movie star about why he's there. And it has to do with the fact that the chef worked 24-7 for days and days and days and days on end. He yeah. just works all the time. Right. Doesn't get a day off. And he finally got a day off and he went to see that movie and it was the worst <laughs> movie he'd ever seen. And he, uh, he ruined his day off. And that's why the movie star was there. And so then for the Coast Guard to come and go, hey, you're that guy from that movie. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious until we found out that it was a setup. But right. Well, I it was a it was setup, great. but yeah. I think it was intentional. Oh, which, it was. Absolutely. Oh, man. What a great laugh that was. But like, the, you know what's funny is the chef becomes the critic in yep. that moment. He's like, your movie is so bad and it ruined my entire day. So, so you, you must you die. Get to die. <laughs> It's like, okay, guys, I'm critical of some movies. I will never wish death on any of these movie th- these these filmmakers or their or their actors or anything. Just, just that's not gonna happen. I promise. I swear. I swear. I will not kill anybody. Anyway, so the chef reveals that the Coast Guard guy is actually one of the staff, and then he tells Margot that he's decided that she's one of the diners. She's a taker. She's not with them. She's with the others. Mm-hmm. And then they announce the final course and they make preparations for dessert. But Margot decides that she's going to tell the chef that she doesn't like his food and that he's taken all the joy out of eating and that she's still hungry. She's really, really hungry. And the chef is intrigued at this point. And so he says, well, what is it that you want? And she says, I want a cheeseburger and fries. And not like the... The what do they call that? The deconstructed. deconstructed. Yeah, not a deconstructed cheeseburger, <laughs> a real cheeseburger. And he smile. The chef smiles, and like it's almost the smile that we saw in the picture yeah. of him flipping burgers. And he smiles and he says, "That's great. I will. I will get you the the best cheeseburger you've ever eaten. I will serve you the best cheeseburger you've ever eaten. It's only going to cost you nine ninety five. Still talking prices. And then he goes and he, they, they have this montage of him building the cheeseburger. It looked like a good cheeseburger. It really did look like a was I was getting hungry while it was going. I was like, wow, this is the first time I felt hungry the whole time in this movie. <laughs> and he prepares this cheeseburger with like obvious love and obvious dedication and brings it over to her. And she takes a bite and she says, my eyes were bigger than my stomach. Can I have the rest to go? But now she's making lots of yummy noises. So right, yes. he knows <laughs> she likes it. Yes. She does make yummy noises. 
Mmm. Mm. That's good. Oh, that's so good, chef. And he says, you absolutely can have the rest to go. And he, he even makes a little doggy bag for her. And then she leaves $10 on the table and he gives her a gift bag and he thanks her for dining at Hawthorne and then he lets her go. And Margot, thinking on her feet, doesn't just leave the restaurant. She hauls ass for the pier looking for the boat that the Coast Guard guy came in. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, at the restaurant, everyone else is presented with their bills and they all pay. I thought this was hilarious. Everybody's about <laughs> to die, but you still, still need pay. to pay. Right. <laughs> and... And, you know, the chef, like, even so far, the chef is, like, going so far as to be, like, look, we're on a no-tip situation, so gratuity is included. You know, thank you for dining at Hawthorne, blah, blah, blah. Then, dessert is presented. And uh, the final course is a play on the s'more, which the chef calls the most boring of all desserts. (laughs) He says it's cheap chocolate, marshmallow, and graham cracker, but people like it because it's been set on fire. So the staff comes along and starts to fit everybody with marshmallow coats. Basically, they're they're like these vests that they made out of marshmallows. And then they put like these little round box hat type hats on them that are made of chocolate. And the chef... Says he loves them all and he sets fire to the restaurant. And that's when we get the last title card. What does the last title card say, Jen? I know you like this one. This one's my favorite. Final dessert course, s'mores, marshmallow, chocolate, graham cracker, customer, staff, and restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, on the Coast Guard boat, Margot watches the restaurant burn while she eats her cheeseburger. And then that's the end of the movie. She's like devouring. Yeah, she really is. She's like, this is the best cheeseburger I've ever had in my life. So showing a burger. You know, what's interesting is that is a very exclusive burger now, right? That's the last burger that Slowick ever made. She she should only eat half of it and then put the other half up on eBay when news comes out about this. (laughs) Gross. Make some cash, right? Like you ever see those people put up like chicken nuggets that look like Jesus or whatever on eBay and it makes actual money like some dumbass has actually paid for it mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. could do that she could totally do that I would do that so question for you yeah what's the question why do you think that the diners didn't try to get together as a group to overtake the staff to get out of there I think they realized that there was no getting out of there like No matter what happens on the island, no matter if they escape the island, they're never going to escape the vapid nature of their lives. They're never going to escape the emptiness that's the food critic or the movie star that makes shit movies and treats people like garbage or the husband that's molesting the daughter. I don't believe that crap because they all seemed fine at the end too. Like they all just seem resolved that, okay, I'm fine with dying. Right. And I feel like, no, no, no. I do not believe that all these people would feel that way and be okay with dying. I, I don't believe that at all. It's I an mean, interesting question, but the chef also poses that question. He's like, I don't know why you didn't just try and escape because you probably could have. Yeah. Movie? I know. That, that's what I was kind of thinking yeah. through the whole movie too was like, why aren't they trying to do something? Now, I understand Tyler because Tyler was so obsessed with the chef mm-hmm. that I think he was absolutely okay doing this. But I just, I don't get it why the other ones didn't try to do something to get out of there. I mean, they, the one guy, the old guy, what was his name, Richard? Mm-hmm. How he, did you forget that one? Come on. <laughs> he, <laughs> he kind of got up to like he was going out, but it wasn't like he made a huge effort. But... It was all for show. Right. It was all for show. He thought that he could intimidate them. Yeah. Into letting him go. But yeah. he didn't actually try to physically get out of there. Right. Even when the men had 45 seconds to get out, they didn't fight on their way out. They were easily overtaken. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was weird that they didn't do that. But maybe they just felt that that was beneath them. Like they're all better than that or something. I don't know. I don't know that I feel like they all were just feeling, oh, my life is so empty, so I'm okay with dying. I, I I don't buy that. That just... I don't know. That doesn't about, seem like it makes about, sense. How about this? How about they knew the number was up? They knew that no matter what they did, the tide was turning. 
I mean, that's feels, possible. This feels like the 99% turning on the 1%. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that these people that were there, these diners, they represent the 1%. They represent the elite. And I think the elite, in this case, know that even if they get off the island, they're done. They, they, they're broken. Something broke in them. Something got broken while they were there. Hmm. Because they know now that you can't just fuck with people right, and Right, but away you with can it. go back and make yourself better. You don't have to just be like, well, I'm going to be this way forever, so I'm going to die. I mean, you can try. Maybe they felt like they deserved it. Uh, bah. Maybe uh. they felt like they deserved it. Uh. Maybe their sins were bad enough that they were like, you know what? Fine. That's fine. All 10 of them? I don't buy that. Not at all. <laughs> okay, fine. You don't have to buy it. I'll buy I, it. I don't it's have to buy it. It's only 9 Yeah. It's it's art. It's subject to interpretation, right? What? Ugh, man, you sound like Tyler. I'm just <laughs> Watch me take some pictures of here. Right? Are you going to take pictures of the, your computer screen or something? So do you have any notes, behind the scenes stuff? I have a couple. Okay, what do you got? Will Tracy, one of the screenwriters, came up with the idea for this story while visiting Bergen, Norway. He went to a fancy restaurant on a nearby island by boat and realized that they were kind of trapped there until the meal was done. Yeah. So that kind of okay, so gave kind of the him the setting. idea okay. for the setting. Yep. Now, I mean, it's interesting that it's Norway that he was in because Norway is kind of a creepy place, if you ask me. All those blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. <laughs> I was like, why is that creepy? <laughs> they all live. Ever see Village of the Damned? Come on. <laughs> John Leguizamo... Mm-hmm. Based his character on Steven Seagal? <laughs> Steven Seagal. Famously I don't, a kind of a prick, Steven yeah, Seagal. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I see that in this performance, but No, okay. but I mean, you can base it on that without it, like, being, like, an, you know, like a, uh, like a caricature of it. You know? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And I have one alternate casting for Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. Emma Stone was actually in for lead role. Interesting. Okay. I could see that. She could have done fine. I do like Anya Taylor-Joy, though. I think she's really, really good in just about everything I've ever seen her in. So Yeah. I would have been... I'm fine with how it is. I think I would have been okay with Emma Stone, too. I think she's great also. So Yeah. All right. And that's all I've got. Well, all right, then. Okay. So then I guess we got to do our thing. Keep, rent, or erase, Jen. And why? I'm going to rent this one. I enjoyed this movie. I feel like there's a few things that maybe don't make sense to me, and I kind of talked about those already. The whole 45-second lead and then why nobody tried to do something more to try and get off or escape or something. And I have a thought that maybe on the rewatch, maybe watching it a second, third time might not feel the same because you know what's happening you know what the twist is yeah but i did enjoy this so i do feel like it's definitely worth a rent it's definitely worth seeing every once in a while i don't know if i'll go back to it right away but maybe in a couple years i might pick it up and say i want to watch that again see how that was okay sure how about you you know at first i wanted to keep this but then i started thinking about it and i think that this is a movie that's very much of its time when I'm saying keep a movie, I want to I want to be able to go back to that movie 20 years from now and be like, yeah, I remember when I first saw this flick and how good it was or how bad it was or whatever, whatever reason it is I'm keeping it. And this movie, I think 20 years from now, is not going to play the same way. But that doesn't mean it's not a great flick. I had a lot of fun watching this movie. The dark humor is exceptionally dark and exceptionally funny. <laughs> the setup is amazing. The... The deconstruction of society is great. And I, I really enjoyed this movie. I ended up on Rent, though, because the longevity of it just doesn't feel the same to me. It feels like... It feels to me like a movie that isn't going to age well. And not because it's not going to be a good movie, just because we're going to be probably 20 years from now in a different headspace as a society. You know what I mean? Sure. That makes sense. Okay. Yep. All right. So rent from me, rent from you. Fair enough. What are we doing next? 
All right. Next week, we are going to watch Avatar. Um, a few weeks after that, we're going to cover the new Avatar movie. Avatar 2? Avatar it? Way of the Water. Oh, yeah, Avatar 2. We're going to cover <laughs> that next week, the first one. Okay. I've only seen this movie a couple of times. I saw it in theaters. I saw it when it first came out on video. I know it doesn't play the same without the big 3D effects. So hopefully it's going to still have a good story, still have enough engaging content that's going to keep me interested in what's going on. I don't know if it will, but hopefully. I did not see this in theater. I'm not a big fan of 3D. They It makes me dizzy, and so I don't usually go see 3D. So I saw it at home. It was fine. But it's been a long time since I've seen it, and I am excited to give it a shot again and, and see if, now that I'm older, if maybe I'll enjoy it more. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah. I'm hoping to be able to see the sequel in 3D, but knowing that you don't like watching stuff in 3D... That's going to make it really difficult for me unless I can kind of break away and like, you know, go somewhere that's going to have a 3D, you know, setup. not like our little crappy theater, but without being able to do that, I don't think I'll be able to see it in 3D. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to be stuck watching it on this barely bigger than my TV screen in our theater. So, <laughs> But anyway, next week, right here on the couch, Avatar. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.